Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Everybody, good morning. My name is Hannah and it is fantastic to be with you in the room and online. And my name is Hannah, I'm part of the Gas Street Church family, and it's a real privilege to be here today. Just going to start with a little story of why it's such a privilege. Yesterday, an old friend of ours, a woman called Pat, I've not seen her for years actually, and she's part of a little church right on the edge of our city. And she came to drop something off at the door, and she said to me, you know, Gas Street has been online an absolute lifeline for me over lockdown. And she said that without any, um, anything from me. I wasn't paying her to say that. And she said every week it's been on point and it's really ministered to her where she's been part of a church that hasn't been able to do that. She did say all this before I told her I was speaking this week, so I think she's actually logging in elsewhere to make sure that it stays on point. But hello, Mum and Dad, you're at least online if nobody else is. So last week, uh, Tim spoke to us about Pentecost. We took a break from our series and he reminded us of the role of the Holy Spirit. But we've been in a series called Here For It, and we are back here for it today. I'm here carrying on that series, which will be carried on next week. We've looked at the role of the pioneer. We've looked at the broken, imperfect church. And today, I want to talk to you about what I call the family business, and that's hospitality. So let's get straight into the Bible and see what the Lord has to say about it. So if you've got your Bibles, head up to Romans 12, 13. And it says right there, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then it goes on in Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So what is hospitality? What do you think of when you think of the word hospitality? For me, I think of the hospitality industry. I think of friends of mine that know how to really entertain. I think of fantastic food. I think of a beautiful table. I think of people who've thought about the detail, uh, Michelin stars maybe, or really great wine, great company, and a conversation. But actually, I want to say to you today that I think that is a really limited view of the word hospitality. I don't believe it's the word that the Lord uses. I don't believe it's actually the whole definition. Those things are great. Those things are part of it, but they are not all of it. It's an incredibly limited view of the word. So when I say hospitality is the family business, that's not what I'm talking about today. So to help us, I'm going to take us right back to the word used in the Bible. And I love a bit of root word work. I used to be a year six English teacher and we did loads of root word work. So bear with me, we're going to learn about that today and try and transform the way you see the word hospitality. So the root word we're going to look at, it's the word used in Romans and Hebrews, is philo xenos. Okay, philo xenos. And that word is actually two words that you've probably heard of put together. And it's so important you get this word today so that it expands your view of hospitality. So philo, that first part, you've probably heard of Philadelphia, the city, or the cheese. Philo means love, okay? So the first part is love. Nothing to do with food, actually, at this stage. And then the second part of that word is xenos. And you will have heard of the word xenophobia. And xenos means stranger. So when we see the Lord talk to us about practicing hospitality, he doesn't actually mean get out your best cutlery. He says, love the stranger. That's what he's telling us to do. And somewhere along the line, we thought it meant do everything you can to put on the best show, and then you are showing hospitality. 
Not that those things aren't great, by the way. I love being invited to people's homes who know how to do it well. But Jesus, the Lord, is talking about loving the stranger. So when you hear me today talk about hospitality, please keep that definition in mind. If there's anything you go home with today, the family business is to love the stranger. Okay, that's what we are called to do. Just before Sam and I started to go out with each other, actually in a previous century, it really was a previous century, (laughs) um, he spent a bit of time in Los Angeles. He was out there for an extended period, spending some time doing an internship. And back in those days, some of you in the room may remember, email was just a beginning of a thing. We didn't have mobile phones, really, or FaceTime. It was letters, phone calls, or very little else. And with the time difference, Sam didn't get a lot of communication from home. His parents were pretty busy and and they didn't tell him a lot. But he did hear that somebody had come to stay for a while, just for a couple of weeks, a young man who had had a bit of a difficult time. That's as much as Sam knew. Now, unbeknownst to Sam, whilst he was away in Los Angeles, that couple of weeks turned into something a bit more permanent. So when Sam comes back from LA, he's, you know, just imagine oldest son expecting fattened calf and this great, you know, I'm home, everyone. He comes back on the plane. He then gets a train back to Birmingham and then another train back to his parents' house because actually nobody came to meet him. And he gets to the front door of his house, trundling along, if you imagine, with his suitcase, knocks on the door. And who opens the door? But the aforementioned stranger, Simon, who is standing there, top to toe, in Sam's clothes. And he looks at Sam and sort of says, ah. And there's this moment of, hello, you know, who are you? And this is, for me, one of the best illustrations I can think of, of letting somebody into your home, loving the stranger, and even letting them wear your son's clothes. That is Jesus' hospitality. That is the family business. Now, the Bible calls us to this life of hospitality, Okay, we are called to love that stranger. It is all the way through the Old Testament and the New. It is the total subtext of the gospel. In fact, the entire Bible and all of Jesus's life demonstrates this life of of hospitality. And I thought today, you know, I could admonish you and say, the Bible tells you, you know, we should be hospitable. We should do this. We should love the stranger. There's enough evidence for me to just compel you to do it with your life, to practice hospitality. But actually, I want to remind you today of why we do it. You see, the reason we do it is because we were shown hospitality by our Father. We were shown hospitality, and then when we deeply know this, we can replicate that in our own lives. And I want to prove that to you today. I'm going to show you a couple of Bible verses and let these really sink in. Deuteronomy 10. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then as we head to Ephesians 2, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Everything just vanished for a second there. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Move on to verse 18. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So just listen to the words used throughout there. Stranger, alien, separated, 
on one side, not included, not part of the promise. And then it goes on to say, becoming saints, members, part of the family, part of the commonwealth, brought into the promise, brought back, no longer aliens. We were strangers. We were aliens. We were separated. Every single one of us was the stranger. And from the very beginning, it was always God's plan and always God's design to welcome us home. It was always his plan to bring us back into relationship with him through his son. It wasn't an add-on idea. It was always the plan for us to be brought back in, to give us that way back, to be shown radical hospitality, radical hospitality, God's definition of hospitality to each one of you and I. Now, what's really interesting to me is that actually the Bible doesn't tell us to forget being a stranger. If you read those passages and you read throughout, he actually, it, the Bible talks about remembering. Remember you were a stranger. Remember you were an alien. Remember you weren't included. Remember you weren't part of the promise. Remember you were on the outside. And I really thought about why. Why do we need to remember? It's not a very nice thing to be reminded that you were a stranger. And I think there's two reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is because it's a reminder of the kindness of God. It is a reminder of what he has done. You are no longer in that position. If you have welcomed Jesus into your life, you will never be a stranger again. But I also think it's so that we remember that feeling and we remember to never let anybody else feel like that again. Remember that feeling of being a stranger so that we never let anybody feel like that again. I don't know whether anyone in the room watches the BBC series Motherland. I love it. I've loved it since the beginning. There's some mothers nodding in the room. If you've not seen Motherland, it's about a group of parents who are sort of, they've got children of school age, primary school age. It's mainly mums and a couple of dads. And it's a bit of a caricature of the kinds of personalities that you will find on the school playground. You sort of spot yourself scarily in some of these people. Well, I do. And I think, oh, gosh, I'm really like that. And as you watch, you get to know these characters. And in every single episode, there's a scene in the local coffee shop. And in that local coffee shop, there's a big table where most of the mums sit. Okay, the sort of queen bee mum sits there and all of her gang. And then there's a little table with three people who sit on it generally. And on that table, one of those characters is called Kevin. Kevin is the stay-at-home dad, and to be honest, Kevin is my absolute favourite. And if I could have Kevin in my life, I would love to. He's brilliant. But every week, Kevin tries something to get onto the big table. Every single week, he thinks about something he can do, the way he dresses, ideas that he has, so that he gets brought to that big table. Now, I don't know about you, but I think every single one of them has had that feeling of, I want you to make room for me. Kevin is saying, will you make room for me? Can I sit on the big table? And I know I've felt like that lots of times. I've felt like the plus one. I've felt like the person that's just on the side of the conversation and nobody's looking at me or speaking to me because I'm just the extra. I felt like the person who wants to be included. I felt like the person who's thinking, am I speaking correctly? Am I saying the right thing? Am I dressed correctly? To be honest, I nearly wore a sweater vest today because I thought that's what you needed to do to get on the stage. I don't even know what a sweater vest is. My children tell me it's a sweater vest. I think it's a tank top because I'm so old, but apparently it's a sweater vest. I don't have a sweater vest, so I'm not wearing a sweater vest today. 
but sometimes we think that's what we need to do so we get the seat at the big table. I want a seat at that big table. I'm not a teenager anymore, but I still feel that feeling. And those are the social cues that we feel inside and we long to feel that way. You've felt that. You will have all in some way, shape or form. But you have a seat at that big table. Room has been made for you. There is room for you. There is room for you with your regional accent. There is room for you with whatever clothes you are wearing. There is room for you, whatever society says about you. There is room for you if there's no success that anyone else notices. There is room for you even if you like instant coffee. There is room for you. It's okay. You can, you can, you, there is room for you. The Lord has made room for you. And this is the centrality of our story today. Okay, this is the centrality of our story, that there is room for you and me. And we are called to remember that feeling so that we never let anybody feel like that again. That is hospitality. That is the beauty of our gospel. That is the beauty of our story. That is what I signed up for. That is my family business. That is my surname. That is who I am, that nobody feels like that again. Now, two weeks ago, Rachel spoke brilliantly about the imperfect nature of people in church. She talked about shame. She talked about brokenness. She reminded us of the work of the Holy Spirit, of what Jesus does. She reminded us that when we feel a sense of shame, there is disconnection and disqualification. And what Jesus does is he banishes shame. And when we come into relationship with him, that disconnection and disqualification are replaced with connection and qualification. And I listened to Rachel's talk. I listened a couple of times over the week. I, I often put the talk in my ears when I'm going around cleaning the house and have another listen. And I was talking to God and said, Lord, why am I speaking in two weeks' time? I mean, literally, why am I speaking in two weeks' time? But what would you have me say? What is there that you want me to follow on and lead on from this space? And I really felt the Holy Spirit speak to me in that moment. And he said, yes, I move people from disconnection to connection. Yes, I banish shame. But it is on you and me to continue that work. It is on you and me to keep people in that place of connection so that they never go back to that place of disconnection again. That's hospitality. That is what we are called to, to make room, to make space, to make a place in our heart to enable people into it. That is what it is to be part of a church in this room, online, in your lives, in whatever part of your life you're in. And I can't put it better than Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body now but yours. He has no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are the body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. We continue that work that he has begun in people's lives of connection and qualification. We create room in our hearts, in our homes, in our conversations. We use that place of acceptance that we have, that deep security that we have, that we have come to know, and we pass it on and we include. Hospitality is not an act. It isn't something that we do. It is a way of life. It is the family business. It is what we do with our living and breathing, ordinary lives every single day. And people, if we don't make people feel that sense of inclusion and connection, 
what is the point of us? What is the point of me if I don't do that? If I don't carry on the family business, what is the point? We lock eyes with people so that they are seen and they never feel unseen again. I heard an interesting story about a Holocaust survivor on a podcast I listened to this week and the amount of shame and disconnection that comes from that kind of experience. But he tells the story that when he has come out of the camp and he's reintegrating into society that nobody looked at him. Nobody locked eyes with him. And that second feeling of shame was worse than the first. That feeling of being unseen, of not being able to be looked at was worse than the first. And our responsibility is to make sure people never feel unseen or invisible again. So what does it look like to do this? Okay, what does it look like in our lives? I could spend a long time telling you all the stories of the ways we've done that in our family. I could tell you what it's meant to Sam and I. For us, it has meant having people live with us at times. It's meant that we've shared our table. We've had people over uh, for, for meals, for walks. People live with us for short periods of time or longer periods of time. But actually... I don't really want to do that today because it's quite limiting again. I'm bringing it back to my experiences and I want to leave you with the question of what does it look like for me to do this in my situation, in my life? You see, we don't have the same life as one another. You may have a home that is twice as big as mine or twice as small or you might not own your own home. You might be a student, you might be a single parent, you might be a parent of little ones or big ones, you might be retired. There's all sorts of life stages and personalities and scenarios in this room today. So I'm not going to go into you should or you should do this, but instead I want you to carry that idea of the family business with you and be provoked to what that might mean with the situation that you are in. And to follow in any kind of family business, you have to follow the leadership. And our leadership is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of leadership. He is that perfect example of hospitality. Joshua Jipp says, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase, divine hospitality to stranger and sinner. So he did this and we follow his example. His life is our centre point and our benchmark and our challenge. Now, if there was going to be a potential favourite gospel for me, it would probably or possibly be Luke. It's hard to choose, but Luke has a good potential for me. And that is because the best description of it is that Jesus is either going to a meal, coming back from a meal, or at a meal. And that sounds really good to me. In fact, it's my life's downfall that I would like to be going to a meal, coming back from a meal, or at a meal. Those are my favourite things to do. And that's essentially what Luke is. That's all the way through. Now, I have the potential here of going into an entire second sermon, and I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to do that today. Everything within me wants to take you through Luke and show you all the examples. But actually, I want to encourage you to go do that yourself. Go sit with the book of Luke, and just with that lens of hospitality, of philozenos, of loving the stranger, go read the life of Jesus. I'm going to just give you a quick whistle stop now. So if you are taking notes, this is the bit to take notes because it's going to be quick. What did Jesus do? What did he make room for? So in Luke 5, he made room for the disliked. Rach talked about this two weeks ago, the very example of Levi. Who is in your life who's disliked? Who don't you really like very much? Who gets on your nerves? Who do you find quite a challenge at work or at school or at university or in your family? Who do you need to bring in in that space? 
What about in Luke 7? In Luke 7, he makes room for the broken. He makes room also for the self-righteous in Luke 7 at the same time. He somehow manages to make room for somebody who thinks they know everything and somebody who's utterly broken and they feel seen and they feel understood. In Luke 9, he makes room for the miraculous. You know that story, the, uh, the bread and the fishes and the well-prepared child. Probably wouldn't have been my well-prepared child. It would be somebody else's mother who'd thought about that, not me. But what that story reminds us is that generosity, when we're generous with the little bit that we have, God makes up the difference. So where you feel lacking and you think, I don't really know how to do this, you do the bit you've got. You bring your little fish and your loaves, And Jesus does the miraculous. He takes what you give him and he makes it something much bigger. In Luke 10, he makes room for the here and now. And I'm just going to stop for a moment on this one. This is the story of Mary and Martha. If you don't know the story, Mary and Martha are are Jesus' friends. This is in Luke 10. So he's spending time with some people that he loves. But I always feel like this is a bit of a challenging story because basically Mary is having a chat with Jesus and Martha is doing all the things. Martha is running around doing everything and in my house we have these kind of conversations where one of my children will say, well I've done the dishwasher already and now I'm having to do this and he hasn't done, look at him, he's just sitting there, he's not doing anything. He's not not even moving or he's moving very slowly and carrying one knife over whilst I've done about 15 things at that time. It's exactly what it's like. And I feel for Martha in this moment because I'm like, yeah, why are you doing all the things and, you know, Mary's doing nothing? But actually the point of the story isn't about busyness or not being busy. It is about the appropriate choice in the moment. And Martha has chosen the inappropriate choice in that moment. She's choosing perfect over present. How often do we choose perfect over being present? How often are we worrying about what it might look like or being distracted by the other stuff around us rather than being in the moment? I find that so challenging, knowing the appropriate choice in the moment. So question there is, how do you make someone feel when they are with you? How present are you? What's your attention? Are you there to impress them or are you there to bless them? Okay, so in Luke 11 and 14, he makes room for the self-reliant. He makes room for those that feel that they know their stuff, they know what they're doing, those with power, those with wealth, those that have it all together. In Luke 19, he makes room for the overlooked, people that don't get seen, who aren't noticed. In Luke 22, he makes room for his friends and their needs, and he makes room for honest community. And in Luke 24, he makes room for the unexpected. Go read it. It's brilliant. So do you want to know that heart of hospitality, that heart of loving the stranger? Because if you do, go read Luke. Go sit with Luke and ask the Lord to speak to you about what philozenos means for you in your life. What did it mean for Jesus to live and breathe hospitality when he didn't have a partner, he didn't have children, he didn't have a home, he didn't have any possessions of his own? So if Jesus can do it with none of those things every single living, breathing day, so can we. So can we take our ordinary lives and do something extraordinary. He longs for us to carry this DNA in our lives, to live it out, whether we're in the building, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're just going about our day and interacting with people. So I'm going to invite Nick and Hazel to come back up now as we move into ministry. And there's just a couple of last things I want to say to you as we do so. Do 
Do you know that welcome home feeling of the Heavenly Father? Do you know that? Do you know that he made room for you? Do you know that there is room at the table for you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever life looks like for you? And that hospitality is just about loving the stranger, none of the stuff that we think it is. Do you know that? So who is God calling you to make room for? Who are you meant to be developing intimacy with? Who right now is in need of Jesus' love and is in your life and in your reach? What does it look like for you to practice the family business? Now, as Nick and Hazel come up, there's one last thing I wanted to show you. Yesterday, I was at Grand Central Station and I was dropping my son off for his Duke of Edinburgh at the train station. And as I walked through, there were these stickers everywhere all over the floor. And you know, I nearly cried as I looked at them. It says, stay safe, stay apart. Now, of course, COVID, that's exactly what we've got to do. But my heart broke at that being the absolute opposite of what God is calling us to do. To love the stranger is not to stay safe and to stay apart. We're not called to live a safe life and we're not called to live apart. We are called to live a risky life, a Jesus life that brings people in, that welcomes the stranger and lets them wear our clothes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.